Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast. My name is Father Peter Musset. I am Scott Powell. And then we have, a, 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 I think, a guest. He's think, waiting he's there with his mouth. I like how you said Scott Powell. Yeah, just to clarify. I am Father Scott Harter. Father Scott Harter. Harter. All right. Yeah. So there's three of us today. That's we, weird. We've been struggling with this during the whole setup because this is not a normal setup for us. No, but we do end up a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. We do. We have, yep. Two I, fathers. I'm a father. I'm, I'm Father Peter. He's Father Scott, and you're Scott. And I'm just Who Scott. Is also a father. I am a father, but of a different ilk, ontological reality. Mm. Yeah, a different ilk. But we are fairly lanky. I'm I'm somewhat lanky. That's why we asked you to be on. Mildly overweight, but also lanky. That's the the best description of all of us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's exactly (laughs) it. Like like the longer we go along, like we we can actually start to add adjectives in front of lanky guys. We can say mildly lanky, formerly lanky, (laughs) formerly lanky, (laughs) Lanky. wishing we were lanky guys. (laughs) Flanky, did you say? I did not. Are you combining like formerly that. and lanky? No, but I'd be a flanky guy. The flanky guys. No, I'd be honored. Yeah. I'll so, tell you uh, when we're uh, when the, for the people who are listening, uh, <laughs> both of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a little bit harder to discern three voices than two. Harter. Harter's my last. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> it's, Harder's my last name. I was. That's oh, harder oh, to oh, distinguish. Did, 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 yeah, no. Did, did, shout out. I was plays on words. Wow. Yeah. What do you? What do you? Who are you? I can keep it nasally if that's helpful. That that's, that helps a little. Yeah. Well, who I, are you? Yeah. Tell Father, us about who am you. I? Why did Scott? What Harter. are you doing here? <laughs> you, you, <laughs> I was trying to Where solicit. I was trying to sell vacuums, and they invited me in, and now I'm confused. I'm a, a priest <laughs> of the diocese of Grand Island in Nebraska. Mm. I live currently right on the island. I thought you said there was no island There's any not. longer. Okay, but we're trying to sell this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm a priest in Grand Island at our cathedral there. Mm-hmm. I know Scott from um, Camp Foytiwa days back he in the was, past. Father Scott Harder was our, on our first ever Camp Foytiwa staff. Mm-hmm. No back kidding. 78 years ago. 78 years ago. To the ago. day. Or seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Well, 12. 10. It was 10. 12? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think 2008 was 10 years ago, but I could I could run the math on that. <laughs> Well, yeah, this is, this is good. I, yeah, this you is know, good. this is good. It's good to have a guest. Welcome. It's good to be a guest. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you're Thank joining you. us for a couple of days at Camp Foytiwa. We're on our way to go whitewater rafting with a bunch of high school boys after this. Yes, we are. And so we are uh, juggling a lot of pots today. Yeah. Handing yeah. a lot of pots, juggling a lot of pots. <laughs> There's a lot of metaphors. Yeah. A lot of irons in the juggling. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings oh, us yeah, yeah. to our 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time. You better believe it does. 17th right. Sunday. We are... in. Uh, Father Scott and I both have a liturgical question for you. Okay, hit me. Well, I let's mean, let's do the readings first, and then okay, uh, okay. Because I, I, you've been talking about this a lot, so I actually feel like I should know this, but I'm pretty sure you do know this, but you might not. So I hope I'm not setting you up for failure. Me too. Okay, our first reading is Second Kings mm-hmm. four forty two to forty four. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 145, verses 10 through 11, 15 through 16, 17 through 18, and the response itself comes from 16. Father Harder, do you want to tell the second reading? Uh, the second reading is after the responsorial psalm, and yes. it's uh, from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Then our, uh, res- uh, our response before the gospel <laughs> is from Luke seven sixteen. Yes. Oh. Should we talk about that one? No, I just I just figured. Oh, you're just setting me up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're giving me the the gold mine. You're giving me the good stuff. Wow. Our gospel is from John chapter six, the very beginning of the the famous or infamous, depending on your theological point of view, 
Mm. Uh, Bread of Life Discourse, John 6, 1 through 15. Dude, which I have to say is so awesome. Archbishop Samuel Aquila. Who was just up at Camp Voitiva the other day. Yes. His cousins flew from Italy. One of them doesn't speak any English. And they've come to visit Camp Voitiva, and they're doing the thing and having a great time, I hope. I sincerely <laughs> hope. <laughs> yeah, you look for it's a smile, cool. and there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so he was. Uh, he's encouraged all the priests of the Archdiocese of Denver um, to preach about the Eucharist for the next six weeks as we go through the Bread of Life discourse. So, so you don't have to worry about any of this. You don't have to. Grand Island. Yeah, we don't. Who knows what they do? Stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just bread. I usually share bread recipes mostly. <laughs> no, you. No, you be quiet. I'm sorry. You be quiet. So this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Little, little Jonathan. Little Jonathan. It is. Jonathan. I just want to welcome all our listeners to the annual Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good NPR. Is that your NPR yeah. voice? For as little as ten dollars a month, you can receive our lucky guy's tote bag. Do we have a tote? Uh, is there a tote bag? No, no. Do no, not, no do bag. not deceive the people. No, yeah. There's no. <laughs> no that's true. Dude, because I'll tell you, somebody just got really excited about their grocery. <laughs> a tote shopping. bag. There's no reason we can't make a tote bag. There's no reason. Why I carry around a tote bag periodically to carry all my books, and my wife always makes fun of me and calls me an old man. Usually, my little Oxford tote bag. I usually call it a man purse. What do you call fanny packs? Lumbar packs. L- my, l- Lumbar. <laughs> Dude, that Which was fine. That was a tit for tat right there. Well, that was, I'm that, just that, doing that, was, that, that, that felt pretty good. I like it. I like. I liked it. It reminded me of the first day that you came to work for me when you gave, tried to feed me a dead bird. Ah, uh, that was Bo Bergner. Bo Bo Wagner. You. I do know a guy named Bo Bergner. That was not him. Yeah. I. It was. Uh, I don't blame me for the dead bird incident. Do you know about the dead bird? I incident? don't know. It's for a different day. <laughs> Why it was, did you ask? <laughs> Baal is fun. <laughs> no, okay. So the first reading, Second Kings. Um, I, have a, I, I don't have that much. So there's there's the obvious connection of this is this great scene where Elisha. Actually, it's properly pronounced Elisha. But did you know this? This is a fun fact, fun liturgical fact. Elijah, right? We have Elijah is this great prophet, does all these things, and then he is followed by a prophet named we call him Elisha. Uh, Elisha, but the name is actually pronounced Elisha. And the reason we don't call him Elisha is simply because of the poor Shmo who has to read it in Mass on Sundays. Yeah. Because it sounds exactly like Elijah. So the church actually changed the pronunciation to Elisha so that people wouldn't get confused during Mass. Be like, who are we talking about? Yeah. I think that's a fun fact. I like that fact. It's a good fact. That's I think it's I true. That's not that fun. No, I mean, From it's kind of boring, but it's good. of your faces. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a good, you're a good insight <laughs> into what people are doing when they're, watch, when they're listening to the podcast. <laughs> Can you like, hear oh the gosh. eye rolls? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> a little bit. It's good. Okay, so Elijah is gone. Elijah did all these amazing things. He stood up for God in the northern kingdom. He was one of the only voices. He thought he was the only voice. God revealed to him through all these things that there was some more like him, that there was someone who was going to come and accompany him and sort of pick up the baton. That's Elisha. Elisha. I'll call him Elisha. And what's interesting about the Elijah-Elisha thing um, is Elisha does all the great miracles and things that Elijah does, but he does them double, right? So Elijah raises somebody from the dead. Elisha raises two people from the dead. Elijah, you know, helps this woman, this poor widow out, you know, who is poor. Um, Elisha does the same thing, but in his case, there's a woman with two sons who was like doubly poor. And so everything he does is doubled. And so this is this great scene where Elisha multiplies bread for people who are hungry, and he does it a double amount of what Elisha did. So this is the double Elijah. portion of the... Of what Elijah did. Yeah. Of his, so of what the does he spirit ask that when he he's going for. up, he says... Yeah, yeah, yeah give me a double portion. Yeah, exactly. And so he gets double of so everything. Which is weird to me, because Elisha 
totally gets the short end of the stick when we think about these prophets. Like Elijah is always the one we remember. Elijah is the one that shows up in the transfiguration, right? Right. And Elisha does twice as much stuff. He was, you know, more of the Christ figure in a certain sense in the, you know, interesting. the whole comparison yeah. of John the Baptist and Jesus. Well, but I, Elisha gets I, the short I, end of the stick. But this is the thing is actually what, what ends up happening is that it's more because uh, we look at the Acts of the Apostles and we see the Elijah, Elisha comparison. So yeah. in a certain sense, yes, we always yeah, point okay. to Fair enough. We point no, to uh, Jesus more than we and point John, to the yeah. church, whereas and we point okay. to All right. Um, Elijah more than Elisha. Okay, that's actually I hadn't thought about it from that point of view. Yeah, that's so, actually pretty good. So in a, so in a certain sense, yes, he is a Christ figure, but it's but at the same time we say, well, gosh, where's mm. the founders? Because like, yeah, good point, dude. I I look at like Rodney Mullen as the founder of of street street skating, and like, dude, we that just dude is we're talking about him. Yeah, and like, dude, that dude <laughs> is were. he's he's epic because did he it, invent the ollie? He did. Well, actually, he invented the land ollie. There was another guy who invented, invented Named, like, the like Alfred Ollie or something, right? No, I can't remember his name. But they they go through it. He he did a ramp ollie before um before Rodney Mullen did a street ollie. My daughter Lily was doing a a a, a, a like a crossword puzzle thing in her Lego magazine, and one of the questions was, "Who created the ollie?" And, and I couldn't remember his name. Dang. Anyway, um, none of that is really what we're talking about. Okay, but, couple of thoughts I have, and then we'll, I want to turn it over to you because you got stuff. We'll, we'll I feel we're, it in your eyes. Yeah, well, we're in it when we're talking about Alicia. He's mm. feeding the hundred people with twenty loaves, which is pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. So the obvious connection, obviously, we're going to talk about the multiplying of the bread with Jesus, and there's a precursor to it. There's a there's multiple precursors, right? Elijah does it. Alicia does it again. But yeah, you're right. The ratios are pretty. It's still impressive, but when you know with what Jesus does, you're like, eh. I guess that was okay. That was an okay miracle. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, that's good. I mean, we're just getting warmed up. Yeah. But so there's there's the face value thing. But then here's what I think is kind of cool. First of all, it says a man came from Baal Shalisha, which you're like, where's Baal Shalisha? Bringing to Alicia, the man of God, the, the barley loaves and stuff. Dude. So I just got curious. Like, where's Baal Shalisha? Dude, I just have to say, man, as soon as your town's named Baal Shalisha. Well, Times are hard, dude. Do not name your town after Baal. There no. is two places in the entire Bible where this town shows up. Oh. And the only other place is back in, I think it's in 1 Samuel. And I, I can't remember exactly the story. I looked at it last night. It's when Saul, King Saul lost his sheep or something like that. Little Bo Peep lost his sheep. <laughs> Saul, Saul was doing something. And he comes across this town called Shalisha. It was, it's the same town, same place, but it wasn't called this yet. So this is, it's this know. little, th th nothing else happens there. He passes through it and it's not an incredibly significant place, but there is this insight that before the kingdom was divided, before Israel kind of fell into a massive civil war, it was just Shalisha. And now all of a sudden there's a precursor of a pagan idol that, you know, is the prefix to the city's name. And like you said, that's, it's not just, you see it and you're like, oh man, there's trouble here. But if you see it and you know the history behind it, you're like, oh man, what a downfall. Sure. It's like, it's like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an, of, uh, the, any equivalent is going to sound ridiculous. It's like, oh, there's Rome. And then a hundred years from now it's Satan's Rome. Like literally that's the equivalent. You're like, why would you name your town that? It, but that's what, and you're like, oh man, that's really something, bad. Something happened Something has happened in between. Something changed. But yeah, it also gives like, you an insight into what the Northern Kingdom is like and how far they've fallen from the ways of God, which is why God rose up Elijah and Elisha after him. And they have to do all this stuff. But if, if for, for us, it would be like, you know, it'd be like demons Greeley. 
Demons Greeley is oh. better than Satan Realm. Satan Realm. Yeah, Linguistically, it's, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's you know, much catchier. You know. <laughs> that fits on a t-shirt better. <laughs> Demons <laughs> Greeley. They're like... You're like, hey, let's let's go up to a concert up at Demons Fort Collins. Beelzebul Fort Collins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. It, like nobody's got it time is, to go but there. But that is what it's doing. So so. Oh, but okay. So here's. Oh, by the way, that it is. Uh, it's it's the sound of Kafir uh, Tulith, present day. So if you're curious about where no, this is all sense. happening, it's slightly northeast of Tel Aviv. Oh, but there actually is a small town still there. Anyway, here's what I think is significant. Um, this is there's this setup. The fact that it tells you what the name of the city, because the city doesn't show up very much. So the fact that the, the writer points it out where it is shows how bad sounding, how ominous the name of that city is. And then he tells you what happens next is interesting because what happens is here you have Alicia, he's this prophet. And this guy from Baal, Baal Shalisha brought 20 barley loaves from the first fruits. He brought a tithe. Why is that significant? Who do you tithe to? Well, you tithe to to the Lord in the temple. Yeah, but they're not in Jerusalem. They're not in the southern kingdom. I know. They're way I, up north. I know. That's exactly it. It's like, here's somebody who's trying to find right worship, isn't it? Well, who it? does the north tithe to? Everybody tithes. Jerusalem, you tithe to the temple. Assyria? No. To the... To the... Um, Bethel? Yeah. The, fa- the There's a temple at Bethel. There's a temple in Samaria. But there's a bunch of false priests. There's the false... There's the bad kings of the northern kingdom. Kings require tithes. Priests require tithes. So the people in the northern kingdom, they're required by law to tithe to these false priests and these pagan temples. This guy is like, you know what? I'm going to bring my tithe to this rando who's wandering in the wilderness, which is really significant. Now, obviously, right. he's got renown, but he's a rando prophet who's wandering around through the wilderness. And this guy's like, I'm not going to give my tithe to the king. I'm going to give it to him. It's like on April 15th rolls around. You're like, I'm not going to give the government my taxes anymore. I'm going to give it to the church. Is that an option? The church. <laughs> and probably option, not. Right? That might no, not no, be a good analogy. I shouldn't have put that in people's heads. But it's, it's interesting because this guy is like, there's something that this guy sees yeah. that's like, this is the rightful recipient of my tithe. Right. He represents the people of God. He represents God's... Um, God's people. He is right. the person of God, and I will take it to him. I just think that's really significant. And then God does these amazing things with this tithe that he brings through Elisha, but it sets up, I think, something really interesting for what's going to happen in the Gospels. I th- well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a clear prefigurement of right. uh, th- that we're about to... It, this is like bread of life stuff. Here yes, but I think the tithing is significant too. Oh, on it a is. political religious point of view. Oh. So I just wanted to point out that note. And and by the way, the other mm. thing I'll point out here, I think this is interesting. Um it's like how can I say this before 100 people? That's ridiculous. And Elijah said just give it to the people to eat. There's no semblance that anyone is doing anything except God himself. Yes. Elijah's like here's the stuff. Stand back, step back and let God do it. Yeah. In the New Testament, things change a little bit. The hierarchy of how things work right. slightly shifts in a, bu- in a beautiful way. But which, here's just like, let God do it. And which is interesting thing. because when we get to the gospel, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't tell the apostles to feed the people, but he feeds them directly himself. Oh, uh, which gospel is it where he tells the apostles to do it? Is that uh, all the synoptics. Is it all the synoptics? Yeah, it's just it's just John, where John just gives the action directly to uh, Jesus. Well, hmm. that's a good connection then back here. Yeah, exactly. You had an interesting point in the car about this reading. The, I, I don't the, know if it's so much of it. I just like, I love Bible phrasing all the time. <laughs> so it says, uh, yeah, give it to the people to eat. For thus says the Lord, it shall eat and there shall be some left over. And when they had eaten, there was some left over, <laughs> as the Lord had said. 
<laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's like... It's a tautology. Lord says, do it. There will be left. There was left. Because Lord said... <laughs> it's kind of a chiasm. It's but kind which of a chiasm. Is, which is exactly <laughs> what's going to bring us into the gospel. Because the gospel is like pure, unadulterated, chiastic love. So you are wow. setting us oh. up. Boom. Band name. Chiastic love dibs. Dibs. <laughs> 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 Which takes us to one Psalm 145, um, which is a great, I mean, it's hard to find that much else to, <laughs> it's pretty, it's as bad as clear as it can be. The hand of the Lord feeds mm. us. He answers all of our needs, which is literally the, the commentary response to the first reading. Oh, here's a bunch of people with needs. How will they be fed? The Lord will feed them and he will answer all your needs. So it's kind of the continuation of even what you're saying, Father Scott. It's, the, it's this tautology again. Which there's a line in here, which is uh, oftentimes a part of meal prayers. It says, mm. you open your hand. Uh, so the eyes of all look to hopefully to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Which is just mm. like, which is just really good. That's like, yeah. it is. it's and a good meal prayer. It's also significant that this is falling toward the very end of the Psalter. Um, where the, where the tail end of the Psalter is all of the Psalms together. And as the Psalter goes on, the closer you get to the end, the more the Psalter starts to look ahead through the darkness that the people are living in toward when God is going to bring everything back to life. Right. So like, hey, you guys have needs. There's going to come a day when they'll get fulfilled by the hand of the Lord in a way that you never even dreamed of. Right. But Psalms like that show up pretty, uh, pretty heavily toward the end, toward you're getting to like, okay, well, now what? And it begins to say, well, then what? Now what? Then what? I don't know if that made any sense. But I just th- where this shows up in the Psalms is significant because it's even the Psalm is setting Jesus up for what he's about to do. Yes. Yeah. Which brings us to the second reading. Ephesians. So, uh, Father Scott, you're, uh, you're, you're on. You're on. I'm on. We've got nothing to say about I this. Read, I read this <laughs> over an hour ago. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so you should be fine. You know, it's from St. Paul, obviously. <laughs> <in> a letter. <laughs> Ephesus. <laughs> That's a good place. Right? I heard that Mary lived there once. Yeah. She did for a while. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, th- this is weird though. It is a hard. This was one of. I mean, okay, okay. It's so, always a wild card. Yes, second reading. Second reading. Okay, usually. I think actually. Okay, I think that Talk what I want to do is I think I want to skip this and then I want to bring up a point. Okay. That's going to connect us back to Ephesians, which I think is actually very, very, po- which is actually very powerful. You're mixing it up. Yeah, because cool. because there's really not a lot to say. It's talking about unity, but I mean, which let's be honest. If there's anything in the entire church. I mean, this is one thing I think we can say about this before. It says, it says, um, uh, bearing with one another, you are also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Which is like, if there's anything that's meant to be the center of our unity within the church it's the eucharistic life it's yeah, it's sure. actually being yeah. one i mean like the 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 divi- divisions between east and west it's like the desire to be able to celebrate the liturgy at one altar together and celebrate the eucharistic mm. sacrifice together because we acknowledge each other's eucharist but it's um but it's it, it's it's still this point of contention you look mm. and you say the 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 biggest pain um like the biggest hurt that you feel when in the in the church it's like you have to tell your protestant friends you're like hey i'm so happy you're at mass with me but communion is reserved for catholics and like it's That's hard it's just one of those things where i don't know anybody who doesn't feel the pain directly at the moment sure. of communion yeah. yeah i have mass with my family sometimes over christmas and certain members aren't in communion or aren't, aren't practicing Catholics. And it's just, it's miserable, especially as the priest to 
right. to know like a bunch of people aren't going to be receiving communion. Like it's at my family's house, Christmas, and, and certain them, people are not involved. But not at the same Father time, Scott, you're you're Scott. Yeah, like I'm you're like their little brother. Are? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But at the same time, like a lot of the people that come through our CIA come through because you know maybe they married a Catholic and they're coming to mass. Right. But it is like in some ways almost the Eucharist that that ends up drawing people into this. Yeah. Totally. You, once you once you taste that, then it's it, once you taste the goodness of the Lord, uh, then it's hard to ever have anything else that satisfies. It. Somebody told me once that through the civil rights movement in the United States, almost every denomination went through some sort of a rupture. Really? I don't know if it, it may, maybe it wasn't civil rights movement. Maybe it was um, um, like the Y2K. slavery. <laughs> it was Y two K because a lot of people. Uh, were concerned about their laptops. Where did you even come up with Y2K, <laughs> man? I've been hanging on to that. No, wow. but I, it was probably, I think it was during the time of the Civil War. And like, so all these denominations split because of their stance on, on slavery. Civil War, Somewhere civil in the history movement. of time, if we can be like that. But, but obviously, like, with the church, I think what, what does draw people together is the Eucharist. So yeah, you can't right. just, there's a very clear sense of you can't mm. just split off and, and still have the Eucharist. Like, it doesn't work like that. Right. So yeah. Eucharist yeah. is this bond that, yeah. that really does link people. Well, it's funny. When I first kind of wrapped my head around or began to wrap my head around this, I stopped receiving communion for a long time. Because for some reason, I don't, I don't just missed it somehow. But when I, I took a friend of mine to Mass with me, which I still didn't really understand the Catholic faith. I was dancing in these Protestant circles. And I brought a friend and somebody pointed out that he wasn't. He pulled me aside and was like, you know, he shouldn't be receiving communion. And I was like, what? I've never heard anything like that before. Really? Right. But I stopped receiving communion for a long time. And I'm like, well, if he can't receive it, like, I don't know. I'm not sure what I believe either. So I just stopped for a long time. And I'm like, I, I need to figure this out. This is a big deal. Figure yeah, out what? If I believe this or not. Oh, sure. Okay. So this guy whose faith seems deeper than mine. Yeah. Why should I be allowed to receive this? I'm not sure if I believe that or not. And so it made me kind of forced me to come face yeah, yeah. to face. Like, do I believe mm. what the church believes on this? And it mm. took a while to kind of figure that out. Um, the only other thing I'll say about Ephesians, though, and then we can come back to it, because um, I couldn't I couldn't find the, the thread. I couldn't figure out how this fit, except for the fact that Ephesians, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, the context of the city of Ephesus was this was for the Roman Empire, the stronghold of um, demonic stuff. Right, the the supernatural spiritual warfare stuff. This was where they Baal made all Ephesus. It is Baal Ephesus in a, in a very real sense, right? This is where they made the amulets and the the spell books and all of the all the idols and stuff. This was their infrastructure, uh, not infrastructure. This was their uh, economy. So there's something about the fact that we're set up in the first reading with the fact that an idol demons have taken over something that belonged to God, and Paul is now going to a place where it seems like the demonic has taken over. And he's saying, no, he hasn't. And this is the reality. So there's something that I'm not sure how much mileage there is in that, but this is, this is Baal Ephesus. Ephesus. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was Italian all of a sudden. <laughs> okay, so, which gets us into the gospel. John 6. John 6. So you said we're here for six weeks? Yeah, I think so. Holy mackerel. Yeah, we go through. Because every... John 6 isn't. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty long. Yeah, it's, it, we go through every pericope of John 6. Yeah, pericope. <laughs> a pericope is a, Lydia, is a designation of a, of a, of a um, w- literature. It's just a chunk of text. Okay. It means to cut around. <laughs> really? It's a cut out yeah, piece like of perimeter text. Perimeter and to, to cut. It means to Peri- cut around. Cop- to yeah. cut around. Peri yeah. Dude, I, I made my first um, homemade cake the other day. Like, like it didn't use a <laughs> kid or nothing. 
<laughs> and, uh, or nothing. And nothing. And I uh, and I had to cut out parchment paper and put it in the Ooh, bottom hard. of the pan. It's oh, harder than it seems, dude. You cut out parchment paper is like it's all curly it's and like you're like man. Oh, it's so, the worst. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call my uh, my my new cake place uh, my where I bake cakes. I'm gonna call it Pericope Cakes. Yeah. Pericope Cakes. I like that actually. Yeah. yeah. Pastel the Pericopes. What? Nothing. I'm just saying Pericopizing per- pastels. Pastels cake in Spanish, right? Anybody? I don't know. Trace Leche. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> on to uh, on to the, the uh, Galileans. So, this is going to this is going to start us off in in uh, a journey that is really really wild. And what's happening is it starts off it says after this Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Can we just point out that what you just said is not what's going to show up in the liturgy this weekend? The, the, There's that two first part. words that you said that are not going to show up. Which after I, this, after this, which I, I see why the liturgy kind of removes that, smooths it out, because you're like, well, just showing up to mass. Right. Be, but the after this is actually significant because the what is what is this that it's after? What what Jesus has been doing is healing a bunch of people. Some of them on the Sabbath. People have been railing against him. Um, I wonder. Man, man born blind. The man born blind, is he the one that's healed on the Sabbath? Yeah, because uh, it was uh, like uh, uh, John chapter 5 is almost entirely the man born blind. And then Jesus launches into a discourse about not only why he does it, but he's like, look, I do nothing through myself. Everything that you see me doing is my father doing it through me. Right. Which is really significant, I think, for what he's about to say in John chapter 6. Yes. So the after this, I think, is really significant because he just gave a long speech about how I do nothing apart from the father's power. By the way, I'm going to offer my body and my blood as food and drink to eat, but not through myself, through my father. Mm. So that I think that's significant. It seems like a, a small point with, you know, semantics, yep. but it's I think it's really important. The after this needs to be noted. Yes. So, um, so there's a book by Peter Ellis, uh, Father Peter F. Ellis, uh, called "The Genius of Z- John," and basically what he does is he goes through and he he's arguing that the entire structure of the Gospel of John is chiastic. Yeah, totally. So a chiasm has a center point, and then it's like, and then it has ripples that go out. So I think of it like a big sandwich. Yeah, like it like oh, a. Sure. Yeah. So, so you go like a b c mm. b a. Yeah, so right. so what happens is A is related to the second A, mm-hmm. B is related to the second B, and then there's a center point C. Parallel points. Parallel so the, the goal is to point towards the, the center, center, right? To yeah, the center point. So this this section where we go and we see the um, this six one through fifteen, the the sections are basically like this: uh, Jesus, uh, followed by the multitude, goes up into the hills. Okay, that's the first part. Mm. Then the multitude is hungry. Second part. We hungry. Center part. Multitude is seated. We seated. Uh, and then, then the multitude is fed. We is, fed. They're, they're filled. And then, misinterpreted by the multitude, Jesus flees to the hills. We not understood. <laughs> Thank you, no, not Dobby. Very eloquent. Dobby. Not, Dobby. I mean, um, uh, what's uh, what's the one who what's from Star Wars who ruined Phantom? Menace? Oh, he ruined all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jar Jar. Binks. Jar Jar. Did you sound like Jar Jar? Dude? Oh, sorry. I regret all. That. <laughs> we yeah. don't understand. Yeah. 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 Exactly. We no one does. Which is oh, yeah. which is just really so. It's it's really interesting. We can see it in a in a bunch of different ways. But John is editing us and bringing us to this point where we're saying, okay, these men make the people sit down, mm. and there was much grass in the place, and we're not talking about Boulder. So the men sat down uh, in number. I see what you did there. About five thousand. 
I, I was thinking about it before Father Harder brought it up, but I was laughing at some of the language that's used in this. Um, I can't remember what it was, but the have the people recline was funny. I just imagined you at like a wedding when you're like, please be seated. Like, please recline. You should start <laughs> using more biblical language yeah. in please context like recline. that. Please recline. And then people would be like, whoa, this priest, man, this dude is doing it. When and I like started- if, you're, if you're at a restaurant, you're like, can I have a, can I have a bag for my fragments? Please to take. <laughs> Do you have like a to-go basket? A fragment for the fragments? fragments? Can, I, can I have a fragment basket? <laughs> when I, I, was first, dude, when I, first, I think we should do that at Drugos. <laughs> fragment baskets. When I first started saying Spanish mass, I would try to tell people that they could sit, but said I was saying, oh, no. "You may feel." <laughs> Pueden sentir, and they're like, "Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, feel free to feel." No, <laughs> go ahead, be Dude, seated. I wish That's I could awesome. say these things in English. You know what I'm saying? That's the best. Please feel free to feel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did they all just stay standing? <laughs> no, they they had been to mass before. I think so. <laughs> before I showed up. Before you showed yeah. up. Okay, one accustomed. thing I I do have to say about this because you brought up an interesting point. It's not that interesting. I but it's it's a small point, but I think it's kind of cool. We talked about we joked about how in comparison how small I was about to say how lame, but just how small the miracle <laughs> of Elisha was. He multiplies a lot of bread, and it's a big deal. Right. But what John John wants you to feel, he talks about the five thousand men. Which, as other Gospels point out, that doesn't count the women and children. There's a lot of people. And so if you want to know how many people there are, John actually quantifies it when he has Philip saying, look, to feed all these people, 200 days wages worth of food would not be enough. And just to put that in context, 200 days wages were, you know, a year is about 360. A year is <laughs> yes. 360 days. <laughs> Three, 400 days, more or less. But if you think about 360 days... A year's wages. What is a worker, you know, an average worker's wage, maybe $30,000, something. So we're talking about, he's saying $20,000 would not be enough to feed this crew. And then you're like, that's a lot of food. So just John wants you to feel the weight of this. It's not like, oh my gosh, we don't quite have enough. Everyone's, we're going to be embarrassed as bad hosts. He's like, no, you could have $20,000 and not feed this crew. There still wouldn't be enough. There still wouldn't be enough. Just to put it in perspective. Because I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I realized it was, like, that's a lot of food. A lot of food. Right. And I think that there's some subtle things that are, that are, (laughs) Alicia, well, also, you you also do the math and you say 5,000 men with Mm. five barley loaves. What he's saying is that there's a thousand fold increase. Mm. Right, which that's, that's it, good math. So as soon as you, because because oftentimes numbers <laughs> we know they're not they're not just uh, you know metrics. Yeah, yeah. They're actually talking about the qualitative, qualitative. the qualitative reality, which is a thousand fold increase. That's kind of cool. Which I, I did not actually look up a thousand fold increase in scripture and when well, people say that a thousand times. The number one thousand, the symbolic meaning of a thousand in the Bible, and this shows up in in Revelation. <laughs> And I don't mean this is actually what scholars have determined. <laughs> the number one, you know, so seven is the number that represents covenant. Fullness, three, yeah. Three or, yeah, totality, perfect, uh, t- not not perfection, but totality. Um, three represents perfection because God's represented by three. Six represents humanness or animalness. Right? Also unrest, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thousand represents, you ready for this? Yeah. A lot. Oh, <laughs> which makes sense. A really a lot. Like a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Yeah. Hey, that's a, that's awesome. <laughs> so there you go. Rep- the number 1,000, which is a lot, uh, symbolizes a lot. I think there's a, I, there's there's a sense here there. of like, um, just through these readings of 
A, like the deep desire of God. So the, the job of the prophet oftentimes is you sp- he speaks on God's behalf, but he also he like shares in the affect of God, right? Yeah. Like he cries out mm. with God's own pain. Mm. And so so Elisha is seeing these people are hungry and he, he feels God's desire to take care of them. The right? empathy. And so God, God wants oh, him to give it to the God's people because God desire. himself wants to provide for them. And so he mm. is, as a prophet, is participating in that. And then the psalm talks about yeah, the eyes of people looking hopefully to God because they have a sense in our own desire is a, is a resonance with God's desire to, to take care of us. Which and then is, Jesus is just, it's magnified to the great extent where he sees people and they're hungry and he almost aches mm. with this like fatherly providential desire to take care of these people. And it doesn't matter what's present, how much bread is present. Like he's going to feed these people because like he cares. Do you think his, his tummy empathetically rumbled? Did he get splucknesomine? Is that what you're asking <laughs> me? Splucknesomine? What's the word? <laughs> oh, your spleen word from last week. Oh, or your bowel when, word. When your, your guts get wrenched. Yeah, yeah. He got splunknesomated. You talked about that. Yeah. Wait, wait, one thing really quick, because you brought w- with what you said, there's a great, there's a really great follow-up from last week's reading, right? And you pointed out, Father Peter, how last week's readings were the ones that set us up for this week. But what the first reading last week said was, okay, the shepherds stink, so I'm going to do it myself. Mm. Right. They're not shepherding well, so I will do it. And what you just said was, now God is saying, okay, the people are hungry, I'm going to feed them myself. So what we have is this whole litany of, of all these things that the people are not receiving. So God says, I will do it myself. I will feed them. That's what Elisha says, right? God will feed them. And then guess what? In Jesus' time, God shows up, yeah. walks up. He's like, give me some fish. Give me well, some bread. Well, no, he says, feed them yourselves. And then, and then Andrew He does. He up. starts that. that and way. then Andrew, this is what's cool. And I love the symbol of these. He has a five barley loaves and two fish. Anytime do you I, think the kid offered them, or do you think they, they were like, "There's it. a kid, that oh, kid's yeah. got some food"? No, I think. Or do you that, think the kid was like, oh, "I've got some stuff"? Yeah, like I, I think it was a Fletch moment. Like, I'm gonna take your car, you know, like, <laughs> like c- come with commandeering me. your fish. Well, I think that they could have bought it from him because why would oh. this? Why would this little boy have five loaves and two fish? I don't know. His I, mom packed it. I know. I think. I think his parents were from a nearby town and said, "Here's an opportunity. Go sell these." Oh. Mm. Ooh, so, okay. So I think because I've been this, wondering about that. I think it's this kid point. was was like, "Get your hot barley loaves here, barley loaves, fishes, fishes, fishes." So we see five barley loaves and two fish, which is easy to see the the um five the, and two. the the law uh, the law, and then the Psalms and Prophets. The law being the five books of the Pentateuch, the Torah. five books of the Pentateuch, the Torah, yep. and then the Psalms and the Prophets. Psalms and prophets. Mm-hmm. So, which is which is like we see a symbolic thing because then we also see the fragments that are brought together are twelve wicker baskets full. Let's be honest that the fragments being brought together is the twelve. Like it's 12, really right. really clear that this is the gathering of. The new Israel. The new Israel from this. From the leftovers. (laughs) From the leftovers of scripture. Well, but it is a gathering of Israel from the remnant of old Israel. Right. So there is a certain sense that they are the leftovers, but not in the sense of like, well, this is what nobody wanted. It's all that's left because our sin caused death and brought destruction and wrought all this pain. So what is God? It's like the... Is it Julia Childs? Is she the famous, famous, yes. um, Cook whatever? Lady? There's a, I, I heard either a radio show or a TV show, but it was the show in which um, these people were competing on this cooking show and they were just given a bunch of random leftovers, like random stuff. And they were like, make a feast with this. And it was this challenge, like based on this random leftover stuff, can you make this amazing feast? Which is what God is doing with Israel. That is what Israel is. He's like, this is what's left of my people who have scattered and been broken. Yeah. And I'm going to take what seems like there's no way you could pull this together. 
and I'm going to build a fee. I'm going to make Israel more beautiful than she's sure. ever been. Right. So, so it's interesting. And then the result is, is that they totally misinterpret everything that Jesus is doing and they want to bring him into a power king. Kind a, of. A, a well, power king instance. They say, look at this. See, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, may, partially, yes. I think partially, yes. I mean, this is the thing is they said, this is the prophet who's come into the world. So yeah, then they, but their idea of what the messianic reality is, they, they, they said they, they are about to come and take him by force and make him king. They were like, come with us. You're going to go be king. Like, they don't understand that, that his, what he's doing is so much bigger, and they misinterpret it and become earthbound in their thinking. Okay, here's my soapbox. Here's my little tiny soapbox. It's Soap a small, it up. It's a small one. I have big soapboxes and little ones. Okay. Here's a little one. They have a misunderstanding because they're thinking overly worldly in this. They're like, we want to make him king. They're not right. seeing the bigger picture. We have a tendency in our modern times when we read back in these things of um, being overly spiritual. And forgetting that, no, God promised a king to be risen. There's a new David from the bloodline of the king mm. who's going to be not just some metaphorical king. Jesus' kingship is not me- its not a metaphor. It's not an abstraction. Everyone was waiting and expecting a flesh and blood king in the line of David to take up a throne and gather a kingdom and establish a new liturgy and have all of these things that are a kingdom in a tangible, structural, hierarchical way. Right. And sometimes modern Christianity wants to make it way too abstract. They're like, oh, they want to make him king, but it's just a spiritual thing. Sure. No, it's a both and. Now, they are overworldlyizing it, I think. Right. But we tend to want to over-spiritualize it and forget that in a certain sense, they're absolutely right. Like what they're recognizing is what we're seeing is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that says that God will raise up a king. Right. We're seeing it in this guy. And then to that degree, they're right. And, and that's where I see the connection with Elisha of this rando guy who's like, I don't want to give my tithe to the king because my tithe rightly belongs with this man because he represents God's kingdom, which is in a certain sense, however well formed his understanding of Elisha was, it's a certain, in a certain way, what the people are doing here. Mm. We don't want to give our allegiance to Caesar or Herod anymore because we see it in this guy. Yeah. Because what they're saying in wanting to make him king automatically entails a rejection of both Herod and Caesar, mm. which is really true. Now, they don't see the fullness of it. They're lacking, obviously, and we'll find out soon that they'll even jump ship, you know, once things get a little bit hard. Right. But there's something to what they're realizing of like, no, this is it. And there's a beauty of, I mean, Herod would have been just taking, like they would have yeah, felt right. like Herod is taking from them and building these palace fortresses right. and all these things. And here's a man who like, he cares, he spends time with them, like he teaches them. And mm-hmm. just in his presence, they're moved by this and moved by his, yeah, his providence, uh, the way he's providing all this for, for them. So there's a beauty in that, that hunger to be shepherded, to be cared for, to be fed. Right. Which brings me to the coup de grace. No, the, the, the coup de grace. The, the, the connection, the chiastic parallel okay. that Peter Ellis is actually fighting for with, so this is, he calls the sequence 10, uh, 6, 1 through 15. And uh, sequence 6 is the woman by the well. And okay. he actually says that these are, in the overall gospel structure, chiastically uh, related to each other. So the sequence says, Jesus sat down with his disciples. Okay. With her, Jesus, wearied from the journey, sat down beside the wall. Okay. We, how are we to buy bread for the, so that these may, people may eat? And then his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is the parallelism. Okay. How are we to buy bread? And then it says, the, the woman says, where do you get that living water? Okay. Oh. Then there's hmm. a lad here who has five barley loaves. <laughs> the and, lad. And then Jesus says, you have had five husbands. 
Interesting. Interesting. The, fi- the men sat down in number about 5,000. This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And then she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. prophet. <laughs> okay. How are we to buy bread so that these may pe- people may eat? And, this, and then, then, of course, the disciples come back, Rabbi, eat. And then he says, I have food to eat of which you don't know. And then Jesus went up into the hills. Jesus withdrew again into the hills by himself. And it says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Hmm. interestingly enough. Okay. And then perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And then she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. Can this be the Christ? So it's really, I mean, isn't that, wasn't that wild? Yeah. Which is interesting because the whole sequence is about this living water. How do I actually satisfy Hmm. the true thirst that exists with inside of me? And, and then also this is this bread. They're, they're a hungry people, but then this is, how are we going to actually understand this? And, and it's, it's taking the individual and the collective and showing how we're about to launch into another segment within this, uh, within the gospel mm. to say, this is how it's going to be done. Because right now we're seeing earthly food. Jesus, yeah, right. Jesus, what, like all ministries of all time is not above using free food to do ministry. <laughs> That's how we do it. They didn't have pizza yet. So he had to do the, barley loaf. Barley loaf. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dude. Nothing like a good cold piece of barley loaf in the morning. Yeah. So, so I think that this, this powerful, this powerful set, up is like okay here we go jesus is going to try to reconfigure our minds because he's trying to reestablish israel and the way in which he's doing this is he's going to actually bring us together through through symbolic metaphorical and substantial things that's the beauty of the sacramental right. life it's it's almost it's like all of it. these moments it's uh, you can see how it's so easy to interpret the sacramental life to pray liturgically w- w- how do we pray liturgically it's a symbol that makes present the reality itself it's right. it's no longer merely symbolic pointing towards something else, mm-hmm. but it itself becomes reality in symbolic language. So it's super complicated. That's the reason why their response is like, well, how do we respond to this profound miraculous encounter mm. of this feeding, which we all see this five barley loaf kid. He's like, he's like, sorry, dad, <laughs> I, I gave the loaves to Jesus, but it fed everybody. That's cool. And he's like, where's my money, kid? No, I'm just kidding. Do you think the disciples paid him? Yes. No. Did he get the leftovers? The fragments. Yeah, he, I think he, he, the baskets. Yeah. Well, actually, the, 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 unfortunately, they forgot to bring it in the boat with them later on, according yeah, to the synoptics. But but John is going to help us understand that Jesus is going to tell us everything we need to know about what these the true fragments are. Mm. And uh, so so we have this powerful bringing back together. So that's what connects us back to Ephesians, which is interesting. It says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That this living water is something mm. that then we're brought up and it actually wells up inside of us and then is consummated in the Eucharistic life and that's how we come to know one god one father of all who is through all and in all he's actually going to feed us he's going to transform us in this ephesians and he's going to do something so much greater so yeah so as i see this i'm saying okay it's the living waters it's the bread of life it's the sacramental life of initiation (sighs) that we're seeing and we're being inaugurated into through um, John's editing. <laughs> John's editing, yeah. John's, John's uh, uh, um, uh, literate, literary um, um, initiation for us. Wow. There's a beauty. So you're bringing up the woman in the well. And so Jesus, like, noticing uh, the desire of people's hearts. That's often a desire on a very uh, worldly plane, right? Right. So she just is thirsty, right? Right. And these people are just hungry. Mm. In other places, a man is lame and he, like, he just wants to walk, right? Right. So Jesus wants to fulfill that in a way, but always more. Like he always wants to transcend that. So he's not just going to give us bread. He's going to 
like draw us into his very being he's gonna give us himself and like she wants water and he's like i'm gonna tell you about the holy spirit right so he wants to transcend that and the man wants to be healed and he says not only are you healed but your sins are forgiven right so you are free right so there's always an abundance the uh i don't remember if it was when he was the pope uh but pope benedict talks about um the reading where he says their their righteousness must um surpass that of the scribes and the pharisees yeah um and he talks about because what what jesus wants is love Mm. so he doesn't want following the rules he wants love and love by its nature is abundant Mm. so he talks about this this specific reading where they need food jesus multiplies the food and he could have made exactly the amount that was necessary right. like exact for the last person and they would have handed the God. last one out you ever distributed communion and you have like one host love that uh, best feeling <laughs> ever and then when you have one it's not, not enough is not good but uh <laughs> but he's he is a god of abundance so there's just a bunch of leftover mm. so he's not saying like what's the minimum he's a god of like his mm. desires are always bigger but there's also a beauty for me of like to reverence our big, own big, bigger natural supernatural natural more natural like you're saying like like he's taking the normal a- a- everyday stuff and he's supercharging it because he's abundant that that is like i know you're thirsty but now i'm going to give you living water that will well up and yeah. you'll never yeah, actually yeah. have to drink that mm-hmm. again yeah. you, you, and you, you're hungry, hungry but i'm bread. going to feed you with my myself because you're also hungering for like intimacy and union and right. like to get in right but you can only see this much which is why Jesus gets ticked off later on because these people become unwilling to go any further. Sure. They're like, sure. no, we want to stick with the belly. Yeah. We don't want the other creepy stuff. They but, belly full, but they hungry. And like you were talking uh, about this worldly or spiritual, like are we over spiritualizing oh, yeah, or yeah. is it over, overly mundane? But for, I think for us, the danger is I, I will ignore my mundane desires because that doesn't feel like a holy thing. Spiritual enough. Right? So if I'm, yeah. I'm lonely, yep. I'm just feeling lonely, like I'm going to ignore that and use Netflix to make me feel happy, right? right. Whereas like God desires something for me in my, in my loneliness, right? right? So he will, he will anoint that and he will touch that. And there's something he wants there for me. And, right. Uh, so even then, yeah, like absolutely. we don't get to surpass or um, not surpass, circumvent. Sure. Like the natural desires of life because he wants to meet us there, even if it's just like pretty worldly mundane stuff. And he's usually going to use them to get us to the yeah, other stuff. Right. Like this and but like you don't the woman get, at the yeah, well, like yeah. the lame guy. Remember <laughs> like, that lame guy? <laughs> but, it's, but it's important because it's, it again reminds us that God loves his material world. He created it. We're not Gnostics. We're not escapists. We're like, we just, right. which is why right. where our spiritual life is going to be, if we're tired, you should sleep because your spiritual life is going to be, God is going to be more able to use you yeah. if you actually fulfill your physical needs. Yeah. Because you need those. God loves your body, and he loves your bodily needs, and he can actually work from there. Yeah, he wants to rest with you. Like, the right, Sabbath is right. a commandment because he reverences your, your exhaustion, and he <laughs> wants to have that be a place of communion with yeah. him. So you don't just get, like, caffeinate and try harder. He's like, no, just stop. Like, let's just rest. Yeah. Let's just be together here. Mm. And he withdrew again to the mountain mm. alone. Which is what we are about to do. Which Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Father Scott, for yeah, being no, here with pleasure. us. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Indeed. We will be back next week. We're going to keep plowing through John 6. Unless it's the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> In which we'll podcast from heaven. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to listen. It'll be a tough vision. Dude, but the, like, the nice oh. thing is, is that we don't even need technology to podcast in heaven. Oh, people will get so sick of us just talking. <laughs> They'll be like, they're like, we want to talk, listen to Jesus. <laughs> okay, <laughs> bye, you guys. Got weird. Bye. <laughs> See ya. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. 
You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can send us an email, lankyguys at thomascenter.org. And we love you guys. Keep us in your prayers.